Hello, everyone. Welcome to Priority Status. This is Emma, and I'm here with my longtime friend, Jeremy Goring, Chief Executive of the world-famous and uber-iconic The Goring Hotel in London's Belgravia, which, by the way, is still the only five-star hotel in London still owned and run by the same family who built it over 110 years ago and remains the last family-owned hotel in the capital. So major kudos to Jeremy, who's the fourth-generation Goring, to run the show. Jeremy and I met over 10 years ago. Actually, we were just saying we thought it was more like 12 when I was a newbie PR and I recall being totally in awe of having this incredible hotel as one of my first ever clients and Jeremy as a hotelier who I really look up to still to this day and as a huge breath of fresh air. Oh, thanks. And what an incredible journey this hotel has been on. So just, you know, one of the many things that the Glorious Goring is known for is the fact that it is such a firm royal favourite. It's the only hotel to have a royal warrant from Her Majesty the Queen and has a long history of serving the monarchy. The Queen Mother famously loved the hotel's eggs, drum, kilbe, still on your menu today. The hotel chefs made Prince Charles's christening cake. And of course, the Duchess of Cambridge chose to stay here the night before the royal wedding. It's also where Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stopped for lunch on their last visit to the UK as senior royals. But as well as being a royal favourite, the Goring has so many stories to tell. It was the first hotel in the world to offer central heating and a bathroom to every bedroom. It also has one of the largest central hotel gardens, which is a complete haven um, and is actually larger than the centre court of Wimbledon, I think I'm right in saying. And it truly is such a special place, you know, personally and professionally for me. It's full of charm, wit, impeccable manners, and it's just a big dose of fun, really, which is very much down to you, Jeremy. So today we're going to chat about everyone's least favourite subject, which is COVID, but not to sound like a Debbie Downer, we <coughs> will be talking about some silver linings and the green shoots that are hopefully starting to appear. And of course, the all-important word, which is pivot. Interested to hear you know, what the Goring has done to weather the storm, how they've pivoted, and of course, what the exciting things are that lie ahead. So hello and welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, this Thanks. is our first ever JPR UK podcast. So we're very honest. Oh, yes. Thank very you for the honest. kudos that you said earlier on, <laughs> giving me some kudos. Um, you're very welcome. Firstly, am I right in saying that this is the second time that the hotel has ever had to close in its whole history, the first time being the renovation? It's never closed, actually, in okay. 110 years. And through two world wars, this is the first time we've had to close the place. So, yeah, really, really hard hitting, I imagine. And a big and a kind of broad question I have for you is, what do you think then has been sort of the most significant change to the travel industry, specifically probably the luxury travel industry since COVID began? Well, firstly, we reopened last Friday. What a day. It was an amazing, amazing day. Getting our team back together. These are people that hadn't seen each other for five and a half months. So it's a bit like... You've had a very long, triple-length school holiday and haven't seen any of your schoolmates. And you've been sitting at home, bored with your parents, like not playing with you. And suddenly all your buddies are back. And so um, there was quite a lot of euphoria. And it's great to actually see guests, clients again in the dining room and in the hotel. Really fantastic to actually be back doing the one thing we do know how to do, which is look after our guests. That was a great rant. Totally forgot the question. What was the question? Uh, the question was, well, what is the most significant change to the luxury travel industry? But, you know, it's good to keep it personal. So actually, yeah. I'm glad you answered this from the, the boring standpoint. That makes more sense. So on that vein, what then do you think are the biggest challenges facing hoteliers like yourself? in the luxury sector particularly. Mm. Obviously, this week, um, for those listening in from the States, we've got this new rule whereby 
social distancing has taken a kind of to the next level and groups of only six can meet. Now, it doesn't directly affect hotels. It does a little bit with restaurants. But essentially, you know, this just is another hurdle after another hurdle. So what, in your eyes, do you think are the biggest challenges for hoteliers, particularly, I suppose, hoteliers in London? Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar in other places too. No one's travelling and that's very difficult. So London will not be dissimilar to a lot of cities, big cities in the US, I would imagine, which is our um, nearest five hotels in London that we would compare ourselves to are all in the same boat, probably doing about 15% occupancy instead of about 90 or 95. Quite challenging in terms of just trying to run a, a business. Does it help having the amazing garden because you are able to offer a bit more space, fresh air yeah, in the heart great. of Chelsea? Really we have lots of room here, lots of outdoor space, massive garden. It's got four little secret gardens within it as well that people can hide away in. So, I mean, that would be the main challenge. Yeah. Whereas we used to be quite a cosmopolitan hub, people from America, Australia, Far East, and, well, every country on the planet. Now, um, all of our guests are English, just as lovely, um, generally. Maybe not always. And that makes it just a, a bit different. And obviously, everywhere in London is the same, but I know other cities around the world are mm-hmm. having the same... Um, but you mentioned Same. that the restaurant, this, uh, well, you're, you were doing a few more covers than you hoped. So kind of green shoot there. Yes, the, the food and drink side of things is absolutely packed all the time. I think people have been let out recently and they're on a mission to get drunk and do whatever it is people do. So yes, food, absolutely very much cranking. Brilliant. And have you yourself done any travelling? Like, have you travelled during COVID? And no, we- I want to. We're not really allowed to. We're not allowed to go to Spain. I don't like, necessarily need to go to Spain, but yeah. you can hear a cocktail being shaken there by Andrea, our fabulous barman. What is it? It looks really tasty. I should have done the setting. So we're in the beautiful drawing room. The Goring, am I right in saying that? No, we're in my office, and my office has a bar in it with a cocktail barman. <laughs> Permanently on duty. Very extravagant. Helping you get through COVID. Um, so you haven't been travelling yourself because of the quarantine and all the challenges. When you are going to, where would be on your list right now? I mean, and maybe hypothetically. So two questions. One is, where would you go to that you're kind of allowed to go to? And where, you know, if, if the world was your oyster, would you choose to go uh, to? Right now, I would go anywhere where someone would um, mean I didn't have to do my own cooking and make my own bed and my own laundry. So anywhere right now, a luxury hotel somewhere outside the UK would be, or a crap hotel, frankly, would also be absolutely amazing. I'd like to go back to Indonesia, mm-hmm. um, which I love because I like, I like the sunshine and I like Something. massive great fish. That'd be great. And Indonesia's on full lockdown. Friends of mine who operate resorts in that part of the world are having, you know, obviously difficult times. So that would be top on my list of places. Anywhere non-urban, I'm afraid of following the crowd here because people mm-hmm. don't like cities anymore, do they? Which they will soon enough that they'll get back in the swing. But yeah, I'd just like to go out into the bush somewhere and just um, get lost in nature, frankly. Fantastic. Good answer. Going back to the hotel quickly and the word that I mentioned at the start, which drives most people insane, pivoting. What have you done? Like, it was so nice to walk in here this evening 
and it still felt like a kind of home away from home. It still had that goring personal touch about it. It didn't feel sterile or particularly scary. Personally, for myself, having gone to stay at a few hotels now post lockdown, there's a huge range basically of what different hotels are doing. But it seems like you've really nailed it in terms of being able to keep the kind of ambiance. What have you done in terms of, you know, obviously, this mask, pivoting, pivoting. what have you had to change? de as well, <laughs> pirouette. Those are our three manoeuvres. We don't want this place to look like a hospital because mm-hmm. people, if they need a hospital, they'll go to a hospital. When they come to a five-star hotel, they want to feel at home. So we are applying all of the rules to the absolute letter, but we are trying to do it in the subtlest way that we can. So, yes, some of our staff have to wear masks mm-hmm. but we're not having big white hospitalized ones trying to make them look a bit subtle and you haven't got screens have you we are doing everything we can to avoid screens we're cameraing everyone on the way in but the yeah. camera is pretty subtle and it's kind of fun the process of the camera is quite fun because yeah. you're either cool or hot and um, so when we have an 85-year-old lady at 36.7 degrees, she's super hot. <laughs> um, and then her husband at 36.1, he's like real cool. But it's, I mean, I think our guests are understanding of it. And, and it's just trying to make that stuff there so it's reassuring, but put it in the background so it's not like you're mm-hmm. having a stay and, you know, having surgery. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your video was really refreshing because for most places at the moment, you're getting that gun, that uh, temperature yeah. gun pointed at your head, which it does put most people on edge. So as you said, the video yeah. is kind of like an extension of the Zoom. Yes, especially in the finger in the <laughs> in the bum or somewhere, for example. It's just probably not what we would do here. Sorry, but Fantastic. Who, knows, who knows where the law will Talking about will go that I was just going to say about how you're delivering this the service with the personal connection but you've kind of already answered that so brilliantly as well are you doing anything new so is that new services whether it's amenities in the room or on the menu like how have you sort of enticed your I mean you're very lucky because Agori has such a cult following um, and it's so iconic you know, on your Instagram, for example, you say about ushering a new era at the Goring. What does that look like? Is that in That's just marketing spin. Okay, great. Yeah, <laughs> we fell for it. No, sorry. So, so new things, what are we doing? Well, we've had five and a half months to pause and reflect on everything. And certain things I would say we've simplified, even though it doesn't mean they're easier to do. But food offering has been a little bit simplified. We've had five and a half months to go out there and meet some of the top farmers and fishermen around the UK. So now every week, actually three times a week because of the demand, we buy a whole animal and um, we serve every little piece of that animal till it's gone and it becomes a sort of a revolving thing on the menu, which is a really good way to identify ethical farming because you actually know where the animal was from and that it had a happy life and how, how he was looked after. Um, we've got a, a sheep coming up tonight, arriving tonight from Cornwall, been roaming around the pastures of, of North Cornwall. Sorry, vegans and vegetarians. Sorry, vegans, yeah. But no, we work with a lot of great growers as well around the country who just grow the most brilliant food. And so we've, our menus have become a bit more dynamic and a bit more natural, mm-hmm. which I personally really, really like. In the we, rooms, anything different? Well, our main job, I think, is to reassure guests and make guests feel really cosseted and and like they're at home in a trusted environment 
whilst following all of the, the various rules. So in a way, it's about just the subtle little things. Mm-hmm. And obviously what we have done, we spent six months renovating the hotel for fun because we've had 200 people with nothing to do for six months. So everything is absolutely gleaming. Even things we didn't think could gleam are now gleaming. Did you do lots of team Zoom calls? How did you keep up morale over COVID? Ooh, yeah, we kind of did, but um, off. The, the Zoom thing does get pretty tired, doesn't it? We all know that. I mean, Tuesdays and Thursdays was our Zoom day and we were Zooming everybody around the whole world. Um, what I can say is that human contact is so important to human beings because yes we saw all of our team all the time on a computer for the last five and a half months but the day we actually all found ourselves in the same space albeit at a meter and a half distance from each other was a really magical day it was very it's so different being in a room with a person to even facetime which is the world's greatest invention really isn't it but even that doesn't compare to just you see someone, you see the body language, mm-hmm. and you can actually connect and without touching and whilst wearing a mask. No, you're absolutely right. And, and just, I suppose I should have really opened up by getting you to describe how you reopened the hotel on the 4th. So last week, this is your first full week of reopening. You did something really fun, typically goring style. And you had trumpets and a, is it a band? How would you describe it? An orchestra? Or? No, well, we had the Scots Guards bring their, um, some of their band members. So we had full military fanfare, which is jolly nice. Um, and then the first few guests that came back actually arrived before our opening time because everyone was competing to be the first, which is very, very nice. We had our whole team lining the front steps when people arrived, which was great fun. So we made a small fuss. It was great to be open, it really was. What a relief. God, it was boring being shut. It's awful. And then going back to kind of the wider travel community and international travel in the next year, there's lots of different sort of takes on what 2021 is going to look like. So I'm interested to know what you think. For example, one line of thought is that 2021, the British staycation is going to continue like well into next year others are like well actually no people are going to be gagging to get on an aeroplane and go further afield and then you know in the short term there's things like families coming together multi-gen and missing you know catching up on milestone events that have been missed what are the trends that you're seeing and i suppose now well you're talking to the person that didn't believe we would have brexit and didn't believe we would have donald trump so um, I'll give you the opposite of what's going to happen next year. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Certainly the wedding thing has become really important because weddings have got smaller and it doesn't look like they're going to get bigger anytime soon. Uh-huh. So the attention to detail is probably going to become more important with certain things because if you can't have 500 people, how are you going to make it wonderful for 29 people? The whole sort of appreciation of one's own country is, I think is a nice thing, uh-huh. a really nice thing. I hope people will travel. I'd like to think that people, instead of going somewhere every weekend on a plane, might go, well, I'll go somewhere for two weeks. Instead of scratching the surface of, you know, Rome or Venice, I'll go and spend two weeks and really get to know people in a new destination and go a bit deeper, go for a longer period of time, but get under the surface and really get involved in the place that you're going to and go maybe go somewhere more interesting and get to know the people that live there rather than this cursory Condé Nast traveller thing that happens, which is like, oh, I've done Portugal, I've done Lisbon, I've done Porto. Hang on, they're all the same place. But, you know, and now I've got to go and do this. Maybe we won't do places anymore. We'll actually go and 
get involved in them. I, d- I don't know the answer to that, by the way. But that so, would be a so nice. So stay side. longer and get uh, become part of the neighbourhood, so to speak. And appreciate things more. Yeah. Maybe. But Absolutely. maybe not. Who knows what the people of Britain will choose to do with their free time? No, I think it's a really valid point. It's almost like tapping into your bucket list destinations and it's saying, you know, why wait and make them a bucket list, grab a ball by the horns and do it in a way that's not always super polished and it's sort of a bit more rustic and authentic. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty much it now. Thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. And it's again, it's an honour to be on your podcast. Thank you. I'm My... moved, honoured, <laughs> touched. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the first UK podcast over and out from priority status at the Goring. God save the Queen. <laughs>